Stephen Fry. How many of you know who I'm talking about when I say Stephen Fry? Doesn't surprise me. that Not that many. Um, I, I have another question, but I'll save that to after you listen to this video that, that we're going to see for a couple of minutes. How many of you other than uh, don't know him at all? Never heard of him? Never heard anything about him? Okay, so I'm, this is a warning. <laughs> because... Um, he is a renowned philosopher, self-proclaimed atheist. He is very cordial when you speak to him or when you listen to him, except for when it deals with Christianity. And so I'm sharing with you something that I believe is very important to many um, with regard to your relationship with God and your faith. So here's the last question, and this is the reason why I'm putting um, him up here, his quote in this short video. How many of you sincerely at times question whether or not you would continue as a Christian and, and even give up on the belief of Christianity? Anyone vulnerable enough to admit it? That does shock me. I would have expected more than none. But I'm glad if you don't have that chicken of faith. The reason why I say that is if we have on average 60 plus percent of our youngsters that are walking out the doors never to return to the body of Christ, that's part of the reason why I'm shocked. The other reason is because I know personally of Christians who have left the Lord. And the thing that we're going to deal with this morning has a lot to do with that. It may be that you don't want to admit it. It may be too embarrassing. And hopefully this is something that we can be open enough to talk about. We're talking about a subject matter, I guess the lack of a better term, if I just kind of boil it right down to something called theodicy. Basically, what we're looking at is, here is a God who is all-knowing, right? He knows everything, and he's all-powerful so that he can do whatever he's going to do. And because he is a beneficent or benevolent God, a good God, he would take care of all evil, so the question often that you'll hear from some are, how can an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-good God allow for evil in this world? Have you ever asked that question yourself? I would say most of us have. I want you to listen to this because this is where some who profess to be Christians have left the faith. Some, and the reason why they are atheists, are such. And I'm wanting to share this with you because we want to be able to give a reason for the hope that is within us, but we want to do it in a manner that glorifies God, not bends to man. Okay? So that's the reason why we're doing that. Dennis, go ahead. Suppose oh, what Oscar believed in as he died, in spite of your protestations, suppose it's all true, mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically, that is the Odyssey, I think, I, I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I would say. And you think you're going to get in no, on that? No, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. 
they're wrong. Now, if I died and it was, it was Pluto, Hades, and if it was the 12 Greek gods, then I would have more truck with it because the Greeks were, they didn't pretend not to be human in their appetites and in their capriciousness and in their unreasonableness. They didn't present themselves as being all-seeing, all-wise, all-kind, all-beneficent. Because the God who created this universe, if it was created by God, is quite clearly a maniac, utter maniac, totally selfish, totally... We have to spend our life on our knees thanking him? What kind of God would do that? Yes, the world is very splendid, but it also has in it insects whose whole life cycle is to burrow into the eyes of children and make them blind. They eat outwards from the eyes. Why? Why did you do that to us? You could easily have made a, a creation in which that didn't exist. It is simply not acceptable. So, you know, atheism is not just about not believing there is a, is not believing there's a God, but on the assumption that there is one, what kind of God is he? It's perfectly apparent that he's monstrous, utterly monstrous, and deserves no respect whatsoever. The moment you banish him, your life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, more worth living, in my opinion. Does that provoke you? First time I heard that, I got angry. Because that's my God that he's speaking against. God that I believe in with all my heart. A God that I will die for. But it's these kinds of things. And, and this person, along with Richard Dawkins, he's most well-known as far as if you were to know him, um, that is speaking out against Christianity, speaking for evolution, uh, about humanism. I mean, he's a well-known humanist. Um, but these are questions that Christians have had over years. Of whom many turn their backs against God at some point because of that. And so the things that we are talking about this morning is very, very important with regard to the meaning of life. We have to be able to answer these questions. We don't have to do it as eloquently as the next person, but we have to have a fundamental understanding of why we are here and what is expected of those who say, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. So that when someone brings these kinds of statements to the forefront, it does not shatter or shake your faith. I know of enough Christians whose faith has been shaken that this needs to be taught on, needs to be understood so that we can answer this question with regard to life itself. And so I'm going to ask the question again. How many of you have actually had doubts about your faith? Anyone here? Now I'll get a few hands being raised. That's what I was expecting when I asked the question the first time. But you see, it's these kinds of questions that sometimes we ourselves may not have the answers to. Even if the answers are available, or even if the answer is not what we want to hear that are available, and we're not equipped to answer, that brings about doubt within us. And that's understandable. Doubt is going to happen at some level to us, to believers. And when we have these kinds of questions, these become what we call watershed moments in which we can go one way or another. They're very pivotal moments in the life. And when I was um, getting this set up, I, I forget who it was that was up here, if it was Dan or someone else I was talking to, I said, you know, this is 
such a provocative interview that sometimes I'm wondering if Stephen Fry, and I don't know too much of his background, I've not studied up on him per se, if he himself was raised with a mindset in the belief of God and something happened in his life where this is the result. Because it, it sounds like he has an axe to grind as I put in the article in the, in the bulletin. And so, you know, that may be the case with others. And so some questions that are asked of you, you may not be able to understand and it may bring about those doubts. Remember that, that brother in Christ I spoke to you about last month, the preacher... Uh, I forgot his name now. But anyway, he was mentioning how he had that moment of crisis as a gospel preacher. Because of all these kinds of questions that he was having difficulty answering. Or it may be that you yourself, when you read and study God's word, that you come up with questions that you're not able to answer yourself. And it brings doubt into your conscience. And it causes doubt to such a point that you really question is what I'm doing here, being here, worshiping a God I cannot see, is it really true? And so it would not shock me if more hands were raised that you have had these kinds of doubts at some point, if not right now. And particularly, in my estimation, as we get younger in age with the society that we live in. That's my, my, my belief, but... We have all these various reasons where these are watershed moments where we can have such doubt. And so whether it's the meaning of life or whether it's any moral question, we cannot as believers fight against this type of argumentation that was used. Hey, you know, why would there be a God who is all-knowing, all-believing? You read in Scripture, He's a good God. How can He allow for these things to happen if He's all-powerful and if He's all-good? We cannot answer humanistic questions with humanistic answers. But what I'm hearing more and more in the name of Christianity is answers from a humanistic perspective. It's like, well, you have to deal with science with science. I understand the reasoning behind it. And I understand being all things to all men. And so there, there may be a time and place for it. But that's not your primary argumentation, brethren. Everything that we do, everything that we answer has got to come from the word, of, uh, the word of God. So that when he opened up that interview and he says, how dare you create a world with such misery? It's utterly evil. How would you answer it? If he makes a statement, why should I respect a mean-minded, capricious, stupid God who creates a world so full of injustice and pain? There's assumptions to his argumentation. And the assumption is, number, fact... Injustices in this world. Supposed fact from the standpoint that he's speaking of, that there is a God and he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful, and he's perfectly good. He says, if that's this God on these two facts, if you will, I wouldn't want to get in to the pearly gates, as he'd mentioned, on his terms. How would you answer that? He said later on in the interview, we have to spend our lives on our knees thanking him. What kind of God would do that? And then he goes on into this argumentation, and he never said what it was, but in whatever research I could find was called the African eye worm. 
And I don't know if his words are even true. I don't, it didn't seem true that, that, that there is, from what I've read about the, the African eye worm, that that's its sole purpose of existence. Nor that because this worm is in the eye of, of, a, of a child, that the child is going to die. There are children that have died from this worm. But from what I've read, it's very rare. And I've not read that that's its sole existence. But when you have argumentation like that and you've not done any background research, you hear that and you're like, oh, if that's a sole existence? And it starts to cause questions within you. And so you get a statement like this. You could easily have made a creation that, that wouldn't exist with all these injustices where you have cancer. Cancer to not someone who is a murderer, but someone who's, who's just a little child or someone who's given their life for good that they would have cancer? That just seems unjust. That seems unfair. Brethren, again, how would you answer that question? That's what we want to look at. How do you respond to these kinds of arguments? Our focus, right, is to spread the good news. And not everyone we speak to with regard to the gospel has this kind of a background. But brethren, this background is growing more and more in this country. It's becoming not such a silent majority, but a very, uh, well, it's not a silent minority, but uh, it is a minority, but it's not silent. That's what I was trying to say. It is a very open, very public, very loud voice that is getting louder in this country. And it's really affecting our school systems. It's affecting our public um, arenas of speech. And so again, how would you respond? Because brethren, we're to shine our lights. And we're not going to keep our mouths closed. Paul prayed before we had this service about our being able to share the gospel. Well, brethren, that's the whole reason why we're, we're a church, to be equipped for serving, for ministering, to build up not only the body, but to bring the lost into the kingdom of our Lord. And is it going to be by human reasoning? Or is it going to be by a divine message? So that's the thing that we're looking at. So with the remainder of this lesson, which is not that long, here's, here's the points that I want you to get. And I want you to take this to heart. And if it means that you have to spend more time hearing the word so that you can understand this meaning, this understanding of life and what we are here for, then brethren, start doing it if you haven't been. We have so many right here outside of these walls, including brethren inside these walls that need to be built up from this word. But of course, we're told, Romans chapter 10, faith comes by hearing. And hearing from a humanistic message? <laughs> From God's word, from God himself. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, right? All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. So we're going to understand it and teach it from God's word. And when we speak, we're going to speak from the word of God. And what, I, what I'm not meaning is just simply quoting passages, brethren. I'm not talking about pretext, argumentation. I'm talking about being able to understand and let it soak within our lives so that when we speak, the words that we speak uphold the word of God and then when we do that we can take down 
worldly argumentations. We are told in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. And not just carnal from a standpoint of machine guns or hand-to-hand combat, but even our speech. Our weapons are not carnal. Our might is in God and His revelation. Our strength from God's Word is able, therefore, to cast down these worldly arguments from on high. So, again, I ask you, how would you respond? Well, let's look at some of these things with regard to creation. He was saying, you know, here is God in creation that God would allow injustice in this world. When you go to Genesis chapter 1, all throughout the first chapter, after each day, what is it that God says as Moses is referring back to God in his creation? It is good. And in verse 31, after man, his crowning glory has been created and he looks back at his creation, he says it is very good. Is there any sin, injustice, cancer, anything like that in this world so far as revelation is concerned? No. I don't know if I want to be fair to the, the side I'm against to say, well, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm going to say it doesn't exist because everything is very good. I believe on the premise of Genesis chapter 1, there is no disease in this world. There is no uh, natural disaster affecting man that would cause tears and sorrow in this world. There's no revelation of any such thing to show one way or the other. But I'm going to, I'm going to infer from Genesis 1.31, everything is perfect. And we are told in James chapter 1, right, verses 16 through 18, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift comes from above. Everything that is good comes from above. And so that's where the argumentation is. Well, then everything good comes from above. Then why do we see all that we see as injustice? And there's a number of statements that we can say that goes on in this world. Um, Maybe one of them might be, well, God just allows sin. But why would a good God allow sin to reign and injustice to reign? Why would a good God, who supposedly is control of the weather, book of Job, Psalms, you can read in the Gospels, where Jesus speaks to the winds and the wave, and, and he's able to control these things, why would he allow a natural disaster to wipe out thousands of individuals, perfectly innocent individuals? That's a statement that is made. But God's word says he made everything good. And everything that he gives to us, everything that he gives to us is good. That's what his word says. That's the answer that you have. It may not be sufficient to the ears of someone who has this mindset of good God, injustice in this world. It's not correlating. But this is the simplicity of the message of Christ. Here's what we have. God's word says he made everything good. We're told in um, Luke chapter 13, the situation here with regard to the tower in Siloam, that when it fell, these are things that, that Ecclesiastes says are time and chance and happen to all. But which individuals who try to explain away or justify the non-existence of God 
who's saying, why would God allow for innocent people to be killed? That's what was just read for us this morning. Or how about in, in Job chapters 1 and 2, where we see Satan and his conversation with God, and Satan is like, hey, listen, the only reason why everything is good with Job's life is because you've put a hedge around him. And Revelation tells us, God says, all right, you can do everything to his circumstances, just don't touch him. And we see what would otherwise be known as natural disasters or from injustice from mankind, war or raiding upon his family. And then in chapter 2, God even allows Satan to actually touch Job's life, but not with the authority to kill him. And some would say, there's your God. He allowed for this injustice. What kind of God is that? The revelation is here. Time and chance happen. It's not a matter that you have, okay, these are good sinners and these are bad sinners. <laughs> so the really bad ones are the ones whenever there's a, um, a tornado, it's going to hit every house that someone is really bad. That's the way we are told this argument takes, takes place that shows us. Here's what I personally believe the answer is, brethren. In addition to these passages that may not be fitting for those who are questioning their faith because they're saying, well, that still hasn't helped me because my child has bone cancer or my child has died because of this worm. We'll get to that in just a second. But these are divine revelation answers that says, here's why. And we could have had many more from Ecclesiastes, from um, the book of Proverbs and Psalms and what have you. But our battle, brethren, our battle is going on. And this is a battle that we cannot see except by faith. You cannot see God and all his hosts battling on our behalf. But it's going on right now, right before our very spiritual eyes, if you will. And if you haven't taken your head out of the sand yet... <laughs> You'd be unknowing to all that's going on in our country that shows that this is such a battle or that's been going on all since the beginning when sin entered this world. It's always been this way. You have Satan and his minions. You have God and his servants. Sorry for those of you who are into that show. <laughs> I can see somebody going, oh, wrong choice of words. But that's a battle that we have. And so again, what would you do to help someone with their pain and suffering saying, why me? Why this happened to me? I love God. I want to serve him. Why would this happen to me? Some of whom may lose their faith. I believe it boils down to just that. Believing in what has been revealed to us. Brethren, science can do such wonderful things. What it cannot do is bring forth an argument that others are going to say is just not true because it's going to be a belief system. I believe through science, I believe God exists through science. I believe through logic, God exists. 
but it's because I believe that God exists, not because of science. When, when I became a Christian, it wasn't like at age about almost 21, it wasn't like, well, let me go check with the science books first. Let me um, check with, you know, Dr., uh, what's his name? Oh, before Oprah Winfrey. Who? Phil. Phil, not Barnes. Not Do- Donahue, that's it, yes. <laughs> Let me check with him first. I believe that I was a sinner because this book that I had not yet read, this man I did not yet know, I believe existed. And some would say, well, Mitch, you didn't have any evidence. And so you have blind faith. Well, to the unbeliever, that's what it does. That's what it was. My faith was no different than the Ethiopian or different than the Greeks. The Ethiopian eunuch, he had a belief that God existed. I had a belief that God existed, even if I had not a Jewish background. But I believed when someone told me that Jesus came into this world and died for my sins that I was guilty of, I believed I was guilty of sinning against my God. And I believed that through the precious blood of Jesus, I could become his. Brethren, that's how I became a Christian. It wasn't rocket science that said, that's why God exists. And that's why I can believe that this book is true. It was because of faith. We're told in Hebrews chapter 11 in the first three verses that faith is in the hope and the assurance of things that have not been seen. None of us have seen God. And yet we're here worshiping him, singing songs, praising his name. Are you crazy? Or are you convicted? And is your conviction based upon human reasoning? Or divine revel- what we believe to be divine revelation? Brethren, do not ever be ashamed of divine revelation. And not let it just be in this kind of a setting that's real easy and comfortable in this room. But when we go out into the quote-unquote dark and difficult world where people are going to have questions for you that you may not be able to answer right on the spot. Where's your faith resting? We are told by divine revelation, and here's what I would say to someone whose child has bone cancer or to, to whomever that says, why me and why all these trials in life? I can guarantee you for every Christian, we could have gone to Second Peter chapter, or 1 Peter chapter 4 when you read verse 11 following. We could go to many other passages about the suffering believer. But we're talking about people who are simply saying, why does this have to happen if we have a good God who can fix things? Because in Revelation chapter 6, that's exactly what the saints were asking. I don't know why I don't have it on this slide. <laughs> Remember the saints are saying, when Lord, when will you come and avenge our blood? We are told that God is going to wipe away every tear. All the sorrow that we have, whether it's time and chance, whether it is Satan's work, whether whatever we can do to fill in the blank that brings forth injustice in this world. 
it is not from God. I cannot tell you where it's from always. I can tell you a lot of things. If someone kills another person, it's because there's, there's wickedness in that person. That's simple enough. But when a hurricane comes and wipes up one person and the next person is alive and saved through that, or a tornado or earthquake or whatever, natural disaster, I don't know why, time and chance. That's the best I have. Brethren, that's going to have to be good enough. And if someone doesn't turn to the Lord because of that, that's because they don't want to believe in a God who says he created this world perfectly and every good gift comes from him. But he's going to wipe away all of our tears. There's going to come a time when all our pain and all the suffering that is resulting of life here on this planet, it's going to come to an end, but only for believers. That's what we're told. And I believe that's why we are here. That's one of the primary reasons why I believe I continue to put my trust in God because I have a hope in something beyond this world. And his word gives me the reason of that hope. His name is Jesus Christ. If you are the person that has this kind of wavering faith because of these kinds of questions, brethren, do not keep it to yourself. My friend, if you're here and you have not yet obeyed the gospel because these are the questions that you have, please talk to one of our elders. Talk to one of the brethren in this congregation that you can put your trust in. We may not have all your answers, but I gave you some fundamental ones. And if they're not good enough, this is, this is what we have. We don't have eloquent speech from human reasoning. And if that's why you obey the gospel, shame on us because it's not in the power of God but on us, and it ought never to be. It ought never to be because we had such good words that we could persuade you, but on the gospel, which is powerful unto salvation for everyone who does believe it. See that? That's what I want you to have. We're going to be led in our song, Just As I Am, and I want you to, to really think about these things as you go forward in your walk this week and, and going forward, because as this con country continues to change, continues to change, you and I need to be prepared to have our swords sharpened so that we can answer every word from the word. All right? I hope that helps. Helps you with your walk. And if you uh, haven't met Stephen Fry yet, there was your introduction. When you do your research, he's pretty cordial otherwise. But uh, this is very, very difficult, um, harsh things that he had said against the God that I love and believe in. And I want us to stand up for him and defend him. If you need to come right now, why don't you come forward to us together we stand and sing.